Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Full Metal Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. Uh, so today we're going to discuss chapters uh, 86, 87, and 88. Woo! Hey! I read all of them, guys. I'm ready. That's yeah. good. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I made notes and everything. It's exciting for you. You're back in spoiler-free zone. Yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. what the fuck's mm-hmm. happening next time. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I'm excited. But the most important thing that happened this time is that Lon Juan is back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was like reading ahead to like check on like what these chapters were like a week or two ago, I was like, oh, Ellen will be happy. <laughs> Literally the only thing that mattered the whole uh, the whole three chapters. <laughs> it's like it's lawn fun, and then maybe I didn't read all of them. Who knows? <laughs> like, that's all I read. You're like I stopped when lawn fun came back. That's all I remembered that happened. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna do our uh, summary recap and then uh, discuss lawn fun's return. I mean the chapters. <laughs> yes, exactly. So chapter eighty six opens with Al having some kind of freaky vision slash nightmare. Mm-hmm. He floats through a white void, and a glowing hand reaches for him as a voice calls, Alphonse, get a hold of yourself. It's not time for you to go yet. I still have many, many. The hand suddenly becomes dark, and pride shadows loom all around, growling as it finishes, uses for you yet. I got tricked! <laughs> <laughs> I got spooked. <laughs> He's pretty spooky. Yeah. He's got a lot of eyes. Too many eyes, too many hands, and too many teeth. Mm-hmm. I've well, I've <laughs> figured out what the essential aspects of what makes pride creepy. <laughs> house in a house inside a child's body. Too many of everything. Too many of everything. Like, that's it. That's pride. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yes. <laughs> From there, we cut to the site of the train bridge explosion. Spotlights rove around the area as the search continues on into the night. Grumman enters a staging tent and asks if they found it yet, but the soldiers tell him that no, the difficult terrain is hindering the search. Miles enters the tent shortly afterwards, and Grumman gestures for him to join him outside as they walk away from the rest of the crowd. Is the Fuhrer still missing, sir? Miles asks. So far, all they've found is the body of one of his men, Grumman tells him. Miles says that it would take a miracle to survive a fall like that, but Grumman declares that he's going to be taking charge and escalating the search, with the northern troops helping as well. I cannot rest until I've seen his corpse with my own eyes. Miles quietly asks if that means he won't be joining the attack on Central like he planned. It can't be helped. I'll let Mustang take all the glory. We then get what seems to be a glimpse at Grumman's thoughts. The Bradley administration still appears to be functioning. If either he or Major General Armstrong causes an incident, they'll be branded as traitors. I know I've never been the most popular officer in Amestris. Under normal circumstances, I'd never be considered Fuhrer material. But when Central falls into chaos when those two upstarts try to seize control, trusty old Lieutenant General Grumman will be welcomed as a hero. In order for me to seize power with the least amount of risk, I'll let my young subordinates take the heat. We then see that it's actually Miles' suspicions of what his thoughts are, as he finishes with, that's probably what the old fox is thinking. Miles then looks out into the darkness, frowning as he thinks that Al is still missing, and he wonders where he is. Where he is is in Pride's clutches, looking pretty cool, honestly, and very scary. <laughs> it's pretty cool, very scary. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ed asks if this is Al's teen angst before greed taking <laughs> before greed taking control back from Ling, grits out that it's pride. Damn it, how did he find us? 
Pride sneers at Greed, telling him that he has no choice but to cut him down since he's so determined to betray them. An acquaintance of yours? Ed asks. Ugh, he's kind of like my eldest brother, Greed answers, which quickly makes Ed realize that he's dealing with another homunculus. He turns his attention back to Pride. How dare you disguise yourself as Al, he shouts. But Pride smugly declares that it's no disguise, and he uses his shadows to lift Al's helmet and reveal the blood seal inside the armor to prove it, much to Ed's horror. First, I'm going to take care of our traitorous brother, Greed, Pride says. And then, full metal alchemist, you will come with me. Ed tells Darius and Heinkel to keep back, which they're more than happy to do, and <laughs> steps forward to confront Pride, saying that he'll be okay since the homunculi still need him and Al alive. That thing won't fight at full strength, but I will. I can beat it. That's true. I won't kill you, Pride agrees, but I might tear off two or three of your limbs. It's like, but he's only got two left. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. He could tear off his metal limbs. Yeah. Ed, Ed can tear them off like a chameleon. As or like not a chameleon, as <laughs> like a gecko, as stated before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pride lashes out with his shadows and Ed dashes away, but he skids to a stop as he realizes he's getting closer to the nearby slum. I must stop him here, he says, and tries using alchemy to throw up a wall, but Pride cuts through it easily. Greed calls out that that isn't going to cut it, and Pride lashes out at him as well, nearly stabbing right through his neck before Greed manages to shield at the last second. But in the time it takes him to recover, Pride's shadows wrap around Greed's body, restraining him. Well, it seems I've captured your friend, he taunts Ed. Don't tell me you still resist. Do I have to capture all those innocent citizens to make you cooperate? Greed weakly chuckles that Pride really figured out Ed's weak point, and Ed takes a moment to take in the situation, watching the way Pride's shadows move around the area. Ed mutters that he can't lose every battle that way, then puts his hands together with a determined expression to begin another transmutation. This attack strikes not at Pride, but at the nearby power pole, taking out all the lights in the nearby slum and plunging the area into darkness. And without light to cast them, Pride's shadows fade away. Greed, released from his hold, stumbles into the tree the Camaros are hiding behind, and Heinkel asks what's going on. Greed explains that the darkness hinders Pride as much as them, though he's still lurking out there somewhere. As soon as there's enough light for it to form shadows again, it'll be back. He then points out that Al's controlled body was always standing near the shadows at the tree line, meaning Pride's real body must be hiding in the forest. You mean that armor isn't its real body? Heinkel asks. It's just a puppet. Pride has its own special vessel for traveling outdoors. What kind of vessel? Out in the darkness, Pride looks mildly annoyed as he bides his time, noting that there's not even light from the moon or stars tonight, but his opponents can't move in the darkness either, so he just has to wait for the lights in the slum to come back on. Then from out of the trees, Heinkel in his lion form suddenly lunges for Pride, slashing his claws down his back and pursuing relentlessly when Pride tries to run. You can't escape me, he snarls. With a grimace, Pride says that he's impressed. You aren't holding back at all, despite my appearance. Believe me, it ain't easy beating up a kid. That said... Heinkel rushes in to slam Pride to the ground, claws at his throat. My animal instincts are telling me it's too dangerous to let this thing live. Back with the others, Darius finds Ed in the darkness, where he's monitoring Al for any signs of movement. Nothing yet, they would hear the clanking. Darius says that they should move away from him in case it's a trap, and though Ed is reluctant, he agrees and shuffles away through the dark with Darius. He starts to talk about what they should do about Pride when the lights come back on, and Darius says that hopefully Heinkel would take care of things by then. In this darkness, it's best to leave the fighting to the nocturnal animals. Nearby, Greed is focused on wondering how the heck Pride knew where they were, and he gets his answer when Darius' instincts kick in just in time for him to push Greed and Ed down before Gluttony comes lunging toward them. Gluttony's teeth clamp down on a tree instead of our hero's heads, and as he chews on the chunk of wood, he says, 
I smell the full metal alchemist, and I smell greed. Now I get it, Greed says. Pride used Gluttony's sense of smell to find our location. He tells Darius that it's his turn to fight a homunculus. Darius complains that he can't see it, only sense a general bad feeling in Gluttony's direction. But Greed says that that puts them on about equal footing, since Gluttony is only going by sense of smell. My animal instincts are telling me don't do it, Darius says uneasily. But he puffs himself up and charges in to engage Gluttony, managing to get several good hits in before he runs away. Did you get him? Greed asks. He says he thinks so, and Greed urges him to hurry and finish him off. That's easy for you to say. Unlike Heinkel, I don't have night vision. He hears a rustling and lashes out, but it turns out to be Ed, who slumps over, pained and betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> Greed, frustrated, mutters to himself that if they turn the lights on, Pride will get them, but if they stay in the dark, Gluttony will instead. Hey, Greed, let's switch, Ling calls out from within him. I have the ability to detect the homunculi's presence. In this darkness, I'm much better at evading the enemy than you are. Greed isn't super keen on the idea, but when Gluttony suddenly lunches out at him and tears his arm off, he quickly changes his mind. I have no choice, he grits out as his arm regenerates. You're not going to try to steal this body, are you? What do you mean? It's my body to begin with. <laughs> Gluttony attacks again, but now Ling is in control and easily dodges out of the way and strikes back hard. Greed is suitably impressed, but Gluttony is now frustrated enough by not getting to eat anybody that he starts to open his horrific rib-toothed void belly just to swallow everything around him instead. Everyone with some superhuman senses starts to freak out that something bad is coming, while normal human Ed panics blindly and begs them to tell him what's going on. <laughs> Gluttony doesn't get the chance to act, however, as some unseen force jumps in suddenly to slice him to ribbons. Another enemy? Ed cries out. I don't think so, Ling says, and he begins to smile. I don't know for sure, but I think that's... And he's not the only one who recognizes the new presence, as Gluttony, bleeding heavily, weakly mumbles that he knows this smell before getting stabbed through the head. This new fighter has a left arm made of metal, with a long blade protruding from the elbow. They flip over Gluttony's shoulder, snapping his neck and slamming him to the ground, then stand over him, looking badass. <laughs> Ling grins widely. I'm pleased to see you're safe, he calls out. I've been waiting for you, Lan Fan. Gosh, she's back. <laughs> Yay. Yay. She's back and she has a, She doesn't have like five arms like you said, Cosm, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, I misremembered that. I was certain. I was certain that happened. I thought it was just your wish that she would have come back with five arms or whatever. I can't remember what the number was. It was too many. Whatever number it was, yeah. just like mm -hmm. just, just like pride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In order to fight pride, you also need many arms. <laughs> You need many, many arms for many eyes to poke out all the eyes. <laughs> yes. That was the end of chapter 86, by the way. <laughs> yes. I was excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I wanted to do was talk about Lanfon. So anyway, let's get to the discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the most important thing that happened. Wait, she has to, she has to do more things first. She stabbed Gluttony <laughs> in the head. That's all we needed, right? <laughs> chapter 87 opens in Central, with Roy talking to Madam Christmas at her bar. She's been looking into Salem Bradley for him, and dug up further confirmation of his identity. Photos going back decades with the boy never looking more than a few years older or younger, and always in the company of the most powerful members of the government. She also looked into the town Fira Bradley is supposedly from. Though official documents confirm him being born and raised there, none of the town's oldest citizens remember the Bradley family existing. The house listed at the address is a dummy, and there are of course no family members. Roy looks it all over and thanks her. It must have been a lot of work to get all this information. Tell me about it, she says, taking a drag from her cigarette. But when I found out you're not crazy, Roy, that this Salem kid isn't even human, suddenly an old woman's tiredness didn't feel so significant. 
She wonders how they managed to keep it hidden so long, how he never had medical exams through his school that would uncover something. But Roy says that the Fuhrer's family probably has its own doctors to do that, and they just write up a fake report. Outside the bar, a group of totally unsuspicious men wait for Roy to come back out, complaining that he's always fooling around with women. Another man runs up to join them and tells them that that's not what's going on, and he's figured out something big. The woman they call Madam Christmas? Her real name is Chris Mustang. She's Colonel Mustang's adopted mother. The men look at each other in alarm, then rush into the bar, only to find it empty. They only have a moment to lament that they got away before the building explodes. In the sewers below, Roy detaches the detonator and tosses it into the water, and Madam Christmas sighs over the destruction of her poor bar. Don't be mad. I'll buy you another place, Roy promises. But she says she won't need one for a while, since she'll be hiding out. She also tells him that she got all the girls out with a bodyguard a while back, and they're probably in another country by now. Roy smiles. Thanks, madam. I owe you one. She picks up her suitcase and starts walking down the sewer tunnel, waving over her shoulder. You can repay me when you're more successful. I'll look forward to it, Roy. Roy sighs, still smiling. I really wish you'd stop treating me like a kid. He continues on his own way, through the sewers and into Central's expansive underground tunnel district. He opens a rickety door and finds Risa, Breda, and Fury, and Black Hayate waiting for him. <laughs> the most important member of the squad. I was also <laughs> excited that Black Hayate was there. <laughs> Not quite as excited as Lanfan, but pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> You're late, Colonel, Breda says. We were going to leave without you, sir. Roy grins. It's strange how your verbal abuse sounds so comforting right now. He asks if they're sure they weren't followed, and they point out that Hayate would let them know if they were. The pooch is pulling his weight, I see, Roy says, and Fury comments that he almost thinks they should give him a rank. All right, then, how about we make him a second lieutenant? But that's a higher rank than me, Fury protests. <laughs> Riza tells Roy that Fury Bradley took Salem with him when he went out east to observe the joint training, and Roy tells the group about the accident the Fury's train had. I bet it was old man Grumman who planned it, Breda remarks, and Fury adds that it's a bold move. The Fury and Salem are both missing, Roy says. Is this a golden opportunity, or is it a trap? The others point out that even if it's a trap, they have no choice but to move forward, and they all immediately refuse when Roy tries to offer them one last chance to escape. Your orders? Risa asks. Roy looks over his loyal, determined team and says, We have a one-way ticket to the battlefield. If we fail, we can never come back, which is why there's only one order I can give you all. Do not die. That is all. They all salute. Aye, aye, sir. At Central HQ, Father and the military higher-ups are discussing the situation and the fact that Mustang and his people have been quietly starting to make their move. Father asks what he'll do next, stating that the military folk should have a better idea of Mustang's thought process than he does. No one has a good answer until Olivier speaks up. If I were in a desperate situation like Colonel Mustang, I would first make sure that Mrs. Bradley was securely in my grasp. Father is dismissive of the idea. You mean take her hostage? How pointless. But it turns out Olivier is 100% right, as Roy, and his, as Roy and his team are currently taking out the bodyguard and driver of Mrs. Bradley's car. She's understandably terrified as Riza opens the door and apologizes for disturbing her so late. Lieutenant Hawkeye? She cries in surprise. Why are you doing this? Roy opens the other door and says, Please excuse the sudden interruption, but I'm going to have to ask you to come with us. Back at HQ, Father says, So he plans to dishonor himself by taking a hostage that has no value to us? Humans are truly beyond salvation. Back out in the forest outside the city, Lanfan and Ling are beating the shit out of Gluttony, and Greed is pretty <laughs> impressed. Look at her! Such power! I never would have guessed that you had a woman like that hidden away. Ling grins and says he's just full of surprises as they continue the beatdown on Gluttony, who is very confused as to how they can find him so easily in the dark. 
A voice from the shadows explains. The Emperor of Xin is one who has mastered the dragon's pulse and uses it to rule his empire. The members of the royal family and those who serve to protect them are able to understand that flow and read the thoughts of others. Therefore, being able to see at night is just part of our job. Ed screams until he realizes that this new voice is Fu, who has returned with his granddaughter. I like how Fu just appears in the darkness. It's yeah. Really great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how did you know we were here? Ed asks. Fu explains that they've been hiding out in Central, observing the situation for a little while, and they detected several large energy sources moving into this area and came to investigate. He mentions sensing two large energy sources fighting nearby, which Ed identifies as probably being greed and gluttony. Then there's another large presence in the forest, Pride, and one more in the nearby town that far surpasses any of the others. That's probably Ed's dad, Daria says, and Ed goes, oh yeah, him. (laughs) Fu is very startled by the news that Ed's father is inhuman, but Ed just waves it off. Don't worry about him, he's no threat. Right now, we need to do something about the homunculi. Fu says to leave Gluttony to Lanfon, and Ed perks up. So it is Lanfon who's battling Gluttony. She was fitted with automail? Fu confirms that she was, and Ed is impressed, then worried as he counts the time passed and realizes that she's only had six months of rehabilitation. There's no way she could be fit for battle so soon after the operation. And sure enough, the Lanfon is holding her own in the fight. Overextending her automail arm makes her wince suddenly, and she's forced to toss one of her bombs at Gluttony to make a clean break. The explosion shakes the ground and further confirms for Ed that it's definitely Lanfon. <laughs> She's the only one who uses those. He trails off, realizing something, and turns to Fu. What other types of bombs do you have? He starts to list them off. Tear gas, flash bombs, flares. And then Ed notices the light starting to come back on in the slum. Which means plenty of shadows for pride. What? Darius cries. Then Heinkel's in danger. Ed says that he'll take care of it and asks Fu to help him. You know that force you sensed in the forest? I need you to take me to it. Darius warns Ed not to let his guard down, and then starts to explain something else about Pride. Out in the forest, Heinkel is struggling against Pride. He's not striking back, but he's not showing any signs of suffering much from Heinkel's blows. He notices the lights coming back on and quickly tries to make another desperate strike, pinning Pride to the ground and rearing back with his claws. Unfortunately, some of the townspeople from the slum have wandered over to investigate all the strange noises, and they brought a lantern with them. As soon as the light falls across his body, Pride's shadows spring to life tearing through Heinkel and knocking the lantern to the ground, where the fire catches and quickly spreads. Pride stands and smiles. It's so nice to be back in the light. He prepares to land a killing blow on the now badly injured Heinkel, but something blocks it just in time. Ed now stands in front of Heinkel, holding his automail arm out. Who would have guessed that a little kid like this could be a homunculus, he says. You really had me fooled, Salem. Pride gives a faux childish smile. What's the matter? Don't you trust me anymore? Oh, Mr. Half-Pine Alchemist? (laughs) Ed only has a moment to rage before Pride attacks. (laughs) But to Pride's confusion, Ed is able to fend off every strike of his shadows with his automail arm. Why can't I cut him? He thinks, frustrated. Ed doesn't mind explaining. He's still got his northern automail, which uses carbon fiber. And he's used his alchemy to make it even stronger. Carbon hardened, Pride says in disbelief. Are you trying to imitate greed? Ed makes a smug, bring-it-on beckoning gesture, which annoys Pride enough that he brings out the big guns, using his shadows to take over Al's armor once again. But this is exactly what Ed was hoping for. I've been waiting for you to do that, he shouts, and then calls out, Old Man Fu! Fu quickly throws one of his flash bombs, which detonates over the armor's head. The blinding flood of light chases away Pride's shadows as surely as the darkness did, and Ed and Darius quickly grab the now-freed armor and drag it away. Ed tells Darius to get Al out of there, assuring him that he's no longer controlled by Pride. The homunculus's limbs dissipate if they're not connected to the body. In front of them, Pride rages. 
You will not escape me, he shouts, shadows rushing to attack. But Ed tosses another flash bomb, which keeps him at bay long enough for Darius to make a run for it. Pride falls back to where Gluttony is, grudgingly praising his opponents for their successful strategy. Next to him, Gluttony rubs his eyes against the flashes of light and complains that it's not fair that Greed and that mean girl can see him even in the dark. Pride is intrigued by this, realizing that this must be the Sheen warrior Wrath had spoken of. Greed took over the prince's body in order to use that ability, he thinks to himself. He turns to eye up Gluttony. How many times have you died so far? he asks. Gluttony looks confused, but answers, Lots of times, I think. You're looking rather weak, Pride remarks, and I've taken quite a beating myself. At this rate, they might destroy us. Gluttony just says that Father can fix him up again, but it quickly becomes clear that Pride has other ideas. His shadows creep towards Gluttony, who quickly grows nervous. No, don't do it, Pride, he begs. But the shadows lunge forward, cutting right through Gluttony's core and consuming it. As the rest of his body fades away, Gluttony cries. No, don't eat me. It hurts. Help me, lust. Ed and the others are shocked by this scene. It ate its own kin. Pride smirks as he enjoys his new powers. Well, isn't this convenient? Now I can smell all of you very well. Around him, the shadows writhe, grinning mouths now lined with sharp, vicious teeth. Though this gift of smell comes with quite an appetite. No matter, I'll feed it soon enough. Pride then sniffs the air, catching a new scent. Hmm, that smell. It could only be you, Hohenheim. And off in the distance, Hohenheim kneels beside Al's unmoving armor. That's the end of chapter 87. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's bad. It's very bad. <laughs> well, Hohenheim's back. That's true. My homie, Homieheim. <laughs> Our reactions are what you deserved. <laughs> Thank you. For that, for that pun. <laughs> I don't like that his teeth are so sharp now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> also, it was really weird seeing Al with real eyes. <laughs> yeah, it was uncanny. A lot of real eyes. Right. Yeah, like multiple. Mm -hmm. It's like always one, and then like the other eye socket would have like multiple, which is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And by that, I mean I enjoyed it, but it is horrifying. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Chapter 88 opens with the now even more powered up pride tearing through the forest and very nearly through our heroes. Everyone frantically dodges away from the frenzied shadows. L'Enfant calls out to her prince, only to find out that Greed has taken over again. Foul usurper, she cries. Give my prince's body back. Greed casually tells her that he can't do that, then warns her as the shadows come striking back, and they both barely avoid getting sliced, though Greed takes a hit from Pride's follow-up attack when he lands on the ground. L'Enfant gets distracted by this damage to Ling's body, and then her arm acts up again as Pride strikes out at her as well, and she tries to leap away. She nearly falls into the shadow's gaping maw, but Ed jumps in and literally kicks her out of the way, taking a glancing blow to his arm as he does. Why did you do that? Lanfon demands, and Ed is like, duh, your arm isn't fully healed yet. <laughs> <laughs> Greed can take care of himself, he says. You should focus on protecting yourself. Lanfon stubbornly says that it's not his business what she does, and he snaps back, whatever, just don't go throwing your life away for nothing. We're gonna need your help later. He rolls around to block an attack from Pride to protect Fu, who is helping the badly injured Heinkel, and then everyone takes a moment to regroup. Greed asks how Heinkel is, and he says he'll manage, then says, Sorry, I couldn't finish him off. Greed waves that apology off. I can't blame you for not being able to kill it. Even to me, that thing is a monster. Pride, standing within his writhing, hungry shadows, grins. What a rude thing to say about your own sibling, Greed. I might just have to eat you. Greed grins fiercely back. If you eat me, you'll mess up your stomach, big brother. Away from the center of the battle, Hohenheim and Darius watch over Alphonse, who finally comes to. 
Hohenheim catches him up on where he is and how he got there, and Al urgently tells him that Salem Bradley is a homunculus, so that news has very thoroughly been passed around by now. <laughs> he doesn't know. He was unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I feel dirty. That thing had its tendrils inside me and its spirit was controlling me, Al complains. Hohenheim theorizes that maybe the homunculi being derived from his blood made it easier for Pride to control Al, but they get interrupted by the arrival of Fu and Heinkel before they can go any further down that line of thought. Fu tells him that Heinkel's wounds need to be treated, then introduces himself to Hohenheim. Hohenheim recognizes him as being from Sheen and starts to casually chat about visiting the country in the past, until Heinkel yells at him that they need to focus on beating Pride. <laughs> Fu tells him about Pride consuming gluttony and becoming so powerful they can't even get near him anymore and Al has a moment of silent guilt over getting captured and putting everyone in danger. Fu and Darius discuss how bad the situation is, while Al continues to think, and eventually he turns to Hohenheim and asks, Dad, you're a skilled alchemist, right? Of course, one of the best, Hohenheim answers simply. Good, Al says, because I have a plan that's going to take a major feat of alchemy to pull off. Back on the battlefield, Pride spends some time cutting down all the nearby trees and taunting his opponents on how useless it is for them to try and hide. Then something catches his attention, and he turns his head. So you finally decide to show yourself, Hohenheim. Hohenheim strides up very casually, hands in his pockets. The hero always arrives fashionably late, he says, much to Ed's annoyance. <laughs> Pride asks if that means he plans on defeating him, and Hohenheim laughs. Not at all. I have no intention of fighting you. I'm not that brave. Despite that, Pride is clearly less confident facing this opponent than any of the others. He frowns as he wonders what Hohenheim is planning, and, worried about the possibility of another flash bomb, begins to cautiously draw his shadows back in. Hohenheim is silently pleased by this. Good, it's concentrating its shadows around the boy in order to focus my attention in one place. Just a little more, a bit more toward the center. He takes a step forward, and Pride draws his shadows up, preparing for an attack. But it doesn't come from Hohenheim. Behind Pride, Al lunges forward, only to get immediately caught up in Pride's winding shadow hands. Pride is deeply unimpressed with this maneuver. That's it? Focus my attention on Hohenheim, then strike when my guard is down? What a pitifully simple plan. He still keeps his shadows close, though, and as he pulls Al down to his knees and knocks the helmet from his body, Pride smirks. He came back to be taken hostage again? What a fool your son is. Hohenheim is silent for a moment, then shoots Pride a fierce glare. Don't you dare mock my son, he says, and sparks of alchemical light begin to arc away from where he stands. The ground all around Pride and Al rises up in huge chunks and arcs over their heads. Al takes advantage of Pride's shock to grab him and hold him still as the mountains of earth begin to close together, surrounding them completely. Pride spits with rage. He snarls Hohenheim's name and shoots out a desperate, piercing shadow, which stops only inches from an unflinching Hohenheim's throat as the dome seals itself. Cut off from the main body, the shadow dissipates. That was scary, Hohenheim thinks, as everyone else stares in awe at this alchemical feat. Within the dome, Pride scowls as he tests the walls. Trapped in total darkness. Damn you, Hohenheim, he mutters to himself. But he's not alone in there, as nearby Al happily laughs that his plan worked. Pride scowls. So you're trapped in here as well. This is no time for laughter. The moment you make an opening to get out, I'll use my shadow too. I never had any intention of getting out of here, Al interrupts. Now we'll see who can maintain their patience the longest, Salem. I mean, Pride the homunculus. My body doesn't require oxygen, light, or food. Maybe we should stay here until your so-called promise day has passed us by. And Pride's eyes widen in alarm. Outside, Greed asks how Heinkel is, then checks in with Fu and Lanfang, though they're both pretty surly toward him when they realize they're not speaking to their prince. Nearby, Ed starts yelling at his father. Al's trapped in there with that monster! What the hell were you thinking? But Hohenheim simply tells him that it was Al's idea. 
Defeating pride in his present state is near impossible, and if we tried, there's no telling how many innocents would have died in the crossfire. Since we can't defeat it, our best option was to imprison it. Now we bought ourselves some time to come up with a more permanent way of dealing with pride. Ed calms down a little, but he still insists he should have been consulted first. But Hohenheim has an answer for that, too. Al said, if you tell Big Brother, he'll be against the plan for sure. In order to trap pride, we had to make sure it gathered as much of its shadow as possible toward the center. Al volunteered because he knew he was the one most suited for the task. He came up with a plan that would allow all of us to survive. Ed, though still clearly unhappy, falls silent, and Hohenheim suggests they work on getting the fire under control. But then Darius notices that one of their number is missing. Huh? Where's Greed? The answer is that Greed is booking it toward Central. He eagerly notes that with lust and gluttony dead, envy diminished, pride trapped, and wrath missing, only father and sloth are left in the city. What are you planning, you bastard? Ling demands, but Greed merely grins. I told you before, didn't I? I'm going to be king of this world. <laughs> I just feel like I heard Cotton breathe. <laughs> <laughs> what, like, am I not so allowed cold. to breathe anymore? Jeez. <laughs> Well, I, I thought it was like breathing because Ling is so kakui, but you know. <laughs> oh no, I was I was actually breathing about greed this time. Oh, well, greed's pretty kakui too, too. Yes. So. <laughs> Back within the dome, Pride is hilariously trying to dig through the dirt wall with a small stick, which Al tells him is pointless. Dad wouldn't have made the wall so weak that it could be dug through by a child. Pride grumpily stalks away from the wall, only to trip over the still detached helmet of Al's armor. Stupid head, he gripes. I tripped on it and fell. Is this really that same terrifying homunculus? Al thinks to himself. Now that he's lost all his powers, he's nothing but a child. Pride demands to know if Al is laughing at him, and Al says that he was just thinking about how easy it is to be deceived by his appearance when you don't know about his powers. After all, you even fooled Mrs. Bradley, he says, then quickly asks, Is she in on it too? Not at all, Pride answers. She's just a human living in blissful ignorance. That upsets Al. Then you were deceiving her. I bet you were mocking her behind her back. How could you? She's such a nice person. Pride actually considers this for a moment, sitting down in front of Al's helmet and looking at the stick in his hands. That's true, he says eventually. I guess she's really the epitome of a good mother. He recounts an incident when they were walking together and a car jumped the curb and nearly hit him, and Mrs. Bradley had immediately thrown herself in front of him to protect him. He could have easily saved himself, but the selfless act truly shocked him. I've always had a father, but never a mother. I was honestly intrigued. I thought to myself, so this is what a mother is like. He begins to tap the stick against Al's helmet, another seemingly normal childish gesture, and the sound rings out as he continues. Maybe we're only pretending to be a family, but I do have affection for her. That's the truth. Al is silent for a moment, then quickly scolds himself for being drawn in by pride and feeling sympathy. He changes the subject to the homunculi's plans and their need for the human sacrifices. If we had left the country in order to save our own lives, all of your plans would have been for nothing, right? So don't you think your plans were a bit flawed? But Pride points out that they didn't leave the country. You had no intention of saving only yourselves. On the contrary, you came to us in Central City to fight. That's how you human beings are. If there's one thing your kind has shown us over the centuries, it's how predictable the human spirit is. We simply selected those of you who possess that quality in abundance. Al falls silent again while Pride continues to tap on the helmet. It's hard to know whether he's praising us or mocking us, he thinks. Meanwhile, Scar and Marco's group has arrived to the outskirts of Central City as well. Some of the folks living in the slum recognize Scar from his previous stay and greet him, 
mentioning that they thought he might have been captured by the military. Scar asks where the Kanama slum is, and they give him directions. Then one of them asks, Huh? Where's the little girl? You know, the one with the black and white cat. She came back here a little while ago. Assume she was still with you. What? Scar says, alarmed. And Jersons and Pano wonder what the heck she's doing here, and why she didn't go back to her own country. Marco asks what else has been going on, since they've been away for a while. Let's see. Oh, I heard that Fuhrer Bradley died when he went east, but I'm sure you already knew about that, right? They very much did not know about that, and are very shocked, which confuses the townspeople. They had assumed the Ishvalans were behind the attack. Lots of Ishvalans have been coming here to Central City over the last few days. Word around town is that they've been planning some kind of terrorist activity. It's true that there are many Ishvalans coming to the city, but that's not what they're here for, Scar tells them. They're valuable allies who have come here to bring change, without resorting to terrorism. Speaking of terrorism, elsewhere around the city, Kimberly is back and being incredibly Kimberly, whistling happily as he strolls through a building full of Ishvalan corpses. He tuts as he notices a small bloodstain on his new suit and tells himself that he should be careful about becoming such a workaholic. After all, the main event has yet to begin. And that's the end of chapter 88. Wow. <laughs> Three big people reveals at the end of the chapters Three in a row. Very Kimberly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, Kimberly's back. Not quite as exciting as Lon Fawn, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty happy. I was like, hey, it's mm -hmm. Kimberly. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Kimberly. <laughs> He's always entertaining. <laughs> mm -hmm. He was. He finally got something on his suit, which was clearly foreshadowed from the beginning since it was a white Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that he was like, not my suit. <laughs> his smooth criminal suit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's like, my work. I must continue my work. <laughs> happily killing people etc yeah. yeah i guess you're saying the third reveal is may that may was about that's what that's what you're saying no it was Lanfon? it was uh i don't know like lanfon came and then at the end of the next chapter hohenheim's just showed up and then oh, this yeah. time it's kimberly yeah yeah i understand it's like everyone's coming back to central it's gonna be a big party <laughs> by party mm -hmm. you mean a huge fight <laughs> yes it's the same thing right yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in FMA, it's definitely the same thing. Um, <laughs> I wanted to make a note about the fight. So, or like, I made notes about the fight. So, the category that I wrote in my notes is Ed slash Al slash Hohenheim slash Darius slash Heinkel slash Greedling slash Lanfon slash Fu versus Pride slash Greed. <laughs> it's like there's so many people at that fight. Yeah. <laughs> so many characters. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think I got all of them. I think that was everybody. First, it started off with like Ed and yeah. Greedling and Darius and Heinkel. And the Hohenheim's there. They had run away from Hohenheim in the woods. I like when Ed turns out all the lights, the Hohenheim's, like, fire goes out, and he looks kind of annoyed, like, moderately annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's my interpretation of his expression. <laughs> I think it was a, like, I know what's going on here kind of expression, but I, <laughs> I like the idea that he's just annoyed that his fire went out. <laughs> it could be both. <laughs> in his case, it could definitely be both. He's like, someone... He's like, no, my s'mores. Yeah, pretty much. He's like, oh, Ed, Ed turned out all the lights. Ugh, I wanted to make s'mores. <laughs> I feel like he was busy being sad, because that was when Ed ran away after yeah. he was like, oh, Trisha. And then Ed was like, okay, bye, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a continuation from that, so... Mm -hmm. That's what happened, right? <laughs> He's going to drown his tears in s'mores. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. That's the only way to get rid of your sadness. <laughs> mm. S'mores don't come in pints. <laughs> S'mores don't come in pints. Well, you definitely can't be sad when you have a s'more, right? Mm. I bought um, mm -hmm. 
a pint of s'mores. I think it was, I think it was s'mores flavored vodka. What? That sounds awful. Once in college. It was disgusting. I don't recommend <laughs> it. But I was just like, I stared at it for like 10 minutes in the store and I was like, I have to know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Any, any flavored vodka that is not a fruit, and even yeah. then, some of them are mm-hmm. pretty mediocre, you shouldn't mm-hmm. be drinking it. <laughs> like chocolate-flavored yeah. fa- drinks, mm-hmm. none, of, none of those things. You shouldn't be drinking um, those things. Yeah. They still haven't found, found Bradley's body, which I think is suspicious. I'm just mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. So I don't Grumman. like it. Yeah. <laughs> huh? So is Grumman? I said yeah. he thinks it's suspicious, too. <laughs> Yes. Although Grumman is suspicious also. It's both, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, my note says they haven't found Bradley's body, which is sus. Grumman doesn't want to attack. Miles is sus. So <laughs> there, <laughs> there you go. One little attention to detail thing I like is that Miles isn't wearing his dark glasses since he's outside at night. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. He doesn't wear his sunglasses at night because he's not. Cool. Yeah. Is that and it? So I can <laughs> watch you. What is it? I don't know. I don't know the words. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the words. I wear my sunglasses tonight. Yeah. Why is Grumman being so weird? I thought he was supposed to be good. I'm not okay with it. I think he's like, he's on the good side, but he's a little bit more like ruthless than he initially comes off and like more than most of our Mm -hmm. like hero characters. Yeah, that's true. So it's like, it's like his like, his basic principles are on the right side, but. Is a little more willing to uh, be sketchy about it than it's kind of like the mm-hmm. opposite of Olivier, where she like pretends to be sketchy and she's not. I think in her heart, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. And I feel like Robin was kind of being the opposite, where he's like, "I'm just an old man, y'all can trust me." And now he's like, mm-hmm. "I don't think I want to go do this attack now. I'm not sure." And Miles is like, "What the fuck?" Basically, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's my interpretation of the whole scene. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. literally what happened, but. <laughs> I do enjoy his like changing facial expressions with it, which is like Miles thinking about what he might be thinking about, which is really funny. Mm-hmm. It's like, or maybe I'll just let my subordinates take this out, and it's an opportunity for me to grab the power, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. But I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll see what mm-hmm. shakes out in the end. But I'm not happy about it. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Greedling is on his way to do the same thing, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, I mean, he never claimed to have any scruples, so. Yeah. <laughs> he never lies. <laughs> he never lies. Yes. He never told them that he was planning to try to become king of the world or whatever, but he did not mm-hmm. tell them that, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We kind of had that conversation with Ling when Ling was like, let's go back to Jing and I'll become emperor. Isn't that cool? And he's like, why not become <laughs> emperor of the entire world or whatever it was. And Ling was like, mm-hmm. um, okay. I don't yeah. <laughs> It's like, sure? <laughs> Question. Yeah. I wonder how he thinks he can become king of the entire world, but whatever. I guess we'll find out. He doesn't have to plan, he just has to want. <laughs> true, that's true. <laughs> it is kind of his deal just to want. You're right about that. Mm-hmm. It is kind of funny to, like, as he notes, it's like almost all the homunculi are incapacitated right now, which is pretty mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're gone. It is sad when mm-hmm. Gluttony was like, help me, Lust. I was like, no. Yeah. Why am I yeah. sad again for you? You already died one time, and I was sad then. Yeah. And now I'm sad again. Right. Yeah, you always feel a little sad for Gluttony just because he's like so childish and doesn't seem to fully know what's going on around I him. I loved how he tripped over mm-hmm. the tree during that one part <laughs> in the background. It's like, I don't know, it doesn't seem that dangerous. In the background, he's just like flopped over a tree. I was like, this is the best. <laughs> but then he opens up his creepy eye gut, and then I'm like, I don't like you anymore, you know? Yeah. yeah. I like him when he's I not like being creepy, but he's being creepy a lot, so. 
Yeah. Mm. Like, how, like, even though it's pitch black, so no one can see what's going on, all the people with, like, superhuman sensors are like, danger! <laughs> as soon as that yeah. starts happening. My animal instincts are telling me something bad is happening. <laughs> yeah, and Ed's like, what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, Ed's spending, like, the entire, like, part of that chapter being like, still can't see. I can't see, uh... Mm. And then involuntelling all the um, chimeras to do stuff for him. He's like, mm-hmm. hey, gorilla, I mean Darius, go do this thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doesn't Hohenheim call him Gorius at one point, which is really funny? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's funny that they're, they, Ed is like, oh, don't rush in. And then like they immediately hide behind a tree or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're like, our animal instincts are telling us to go here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is this an excuse? <laughs> Heinkel did a pretty good job being a creepy lion, trying mm. to attack Pride. Mm-hmm. I guess Pride has a lot of lives left in him, though. That's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. He was like, this thing just yeah. like doesn't die. Either that or he doesn't die. I don't, I'm not sure. but mm-hmm. Yeah, at least at the start of the battle. I think like when he makes note, he's like, I've taken quite a beating myself. Implies yeah. that he lost several lives to Heinkel, which, you know, good job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did his best. It's just really difficult mm-hmm. to beat them. Yeah. It seems like Pride has a lot had a lot of lives or whatever like mm-hmm. or yeah. hadn't used as many because we don't see pride fighting that much i guess you know yeah well not putting his, mostly... himself in danger yeah, yeah. he's like yeah he's mostly able to keep his main body out of the fight so. yeah mm-hmm. uses little zoopy shadows mm-hmm. yeah as opposed to gluttony who's just constantly getting sliced up yeah so, <laughs> this is like the fifth time <laughs> so it was really disturbing when Pride eats Gluttony, though. I was like, uh... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For, like, multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. But I like that everyone is like, dude, he just ate him. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm-hmm. first of all. And then he's like, well, I'm hungry now, so... And I was like, no, you don't need more soupy... Like, you don't need mm-hmm. more special powers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had yeah, enough horrifying he, he, powers. Like, licks it, how he, like, licks his lips before he does it. It's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. Yeah. I like how even, I think it was like Greed, Greed is like, yeah, even to me that thing is a monster. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like Pride is cast in this kind of other light compared to the other homunculi. Pride doesn't seem to have Mm -hmm. any kind of humanity where sometimes they do. Like, even Gluttony being like, Lust, like when he's dying or Mm -hmm. Greed sort of like wanting to have connections with people, like remembering Beto and his friends and stuff like that. But Pride doesn't necessarily seem to have that, at least that we can see. Although, when he's in the shell... Mm -hmm. Then he's like, oh, I kind of admire Mrs. Bradley for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, protecting me and stuff like that, which was an interesting conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think throughout, like, because when, when Heinkel is beating up on him in and, and, and the tunnel or cave? In the dark. Dome. Dome. In the, <laughs> the, in the dome, uh, you see him at least portrayed more as a little child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... I don't, it was yeah, Hard for, to watch Heinkel like get beating him up because mm-hmm. he is a tiny little child just yep, getting thrown around. Yeah, but he's horrifying. Did you see his oh, face? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But um, you know, there's still some aspect of it that you know, just without without his powers, he really just it doesn't. It's not a fair fight, mm-hmm. and it's just a little child getting thrown around, and you know. But then when he's so. in the little cave, he's like poking it, poking at the wall, and like poking at yeah. Al's helmet, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, you're a child. Yeah, I like that like brief scene where like like when the villagers stumble on the fight. They're like, What the fuck are you doing? Pride makes the light go up, they're like, like that child. The child. Yeah. It's like the like, child oh. is evil. <laughs> yeah. But then he like shoots out all his shadows and then I'm sure they regretted it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God, what the fuck? I mean, I would be. It's like 
It's like two seconds ago they thought the scariest thing they were going to see that night was the uh, lion monster attacking a child. <laughs> and then... mm-hmm. Turn, turned out no. Yeah. I always thought that, like, that Salem was, like, you know, like a fake child. Like, obviously he's been alive for a long time. But maybe in some ways he is kind of childish. Like, maybe that's what's meant to be shown when he's, like, you know, all his powers are gone and he's in the, like, uh, the dome with mm-hmm. Al, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe in some ways he is kind of like a child. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, I just kind of always assumed he was just, like, a fake child, which he is, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. I feel like it mm-hmm. might be, like, like sort of how, like, wrath living among humans has made him, mm-hmm. like, have some more human impulses. Mm-hmm. It's like, maybe, like, living so long, like, pretending to be a child. Uh, I see. That makes sense. That's kind of, like, made him sort of, like... Yeah, having a... Some, having like, childish a... aspects, especially since he has, like, Apparently, some like genuine affection for his like quote unquote mother. Because, like, fa- he's like, Well, I always had a father, but like, father's not really like a father, father. Like, he's yeah pretty aloof, right? Like, he doesn't really have any sense of humanity either. But obviously, mm-hmm. Mrs. Bradley's a real, a real human, so she might. Did I say she might? She does. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to transition away to Mrs. Bradley, father is like, Why would they capture Mrs. Bradley? That's stupid. And then I, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, that's stupid. And then when you were reading through it again this time, I was like, but actually, didn't Fear Bradley, Bradley say that the only the only thing he kind of like chose about his life was his wife? Like, maybe he does care about her. Maybe it is a mm-hmm. good tactic. I have a feeling uh, that he wouldn't let that out if it was really like that much of a weak point for him, right? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like he would keep that close to the chest if that were the case. But... Uh, I don't know, maybe not. Maybe that was a little bit of honesty coming through and He told yeah. I think he was honest about that, but I don't think it would like necessarily I don't think it would necessarily he might not change how he end. like acted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like the fact that like Roy and his team came up with that idea and Olivier predicted that they would come up with that idea <laughs> means that it like has some kind of like outside like benefit that just the like father doesn't realize because he's a creepy old man living in a tunnel. That's definitely entirely possible, and it's also definitely because I don't think they came. I don't think Olivia Olivier decided. I I think that Olivier knew that they would do that, but mm-hmm. and I think that she's telling him. My my feeling is that she's telling him on purpose for some reason. I think she knew that they were going to do it. I mean, Maybe. it's possible they would both mm-hmm. think about it independently, but that's just my opinion. At least mm-hmm. my my assumption. You can. You don't have to say anything if I'm wrong or right. I don't remember what happens, but I have a theory, and I don't know if that theory is made up of like memories are, I've forgotten. Are you gonna message yeah. Kayla and try to spell something crazy? <laughs> no, yeah. I just I, I don't know. Keep it to yourself. Like, huh? yeah, I remember the benefit of them taking Mrs. Bradley hostage. I don't remember if it's ever made clear that like if Olivia knew about it ahead of time or if she mm. was just like had the same thought process as uh, Roy. I mean, it's possible that she does. Mm-hmm. But it's also possible that they coordinated because when yeah. they were like at Olivier's house, he was like, "Yo, mm-hmm. you can totally keep an army here." And she's like, "Yeah, I guess." You know, like yeah. I think they I definitely think coordinated on some things. I'm just not sure if that like that part is mm-hmm. particularly mm. like clarified. But, yeah, we'll see, won't we? I'll mm-hmm. show you. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there's a good reason for them to kidnap her, and my mm-hmm. assumption at this point is because. Bradley pick Bradley might actually have some feelings, positive feelings about her, but maybe he maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he would act like he doesn't care. He has more um like it's higher stakes for him to lose his position with the homunculi than it is for them to kill his wife. 
his fake wife. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <laughs> his real wife that he likes, I guess, question mark, but yeah. <laughs> doesn't matter to the to the overall plan in theory. Mm-hmm. Which is why father doesn't care, and father definitely wouldn't see. Father's, I'm sure, is like very has very um, sort of like uh, nearsighted approach to this plan, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. So now I know why I think what I think, and it's, it's related <laughs> to this uh, this chapter when like uh, I guess Miles is thinking for Grumman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking about how like Mustang is going to attack and become a traitor. And if you get Miss Bradley on his side and have her able to sort of like vouch for him and and maybe not testify, but, you know, more or less testify on his behalf, that is more likely to have their coup received more better. By people, by other people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Something like that to to Mm -hmm. make it be more a um, more coof, couth, (laughs) couth. Not uncouth. (laughs) Cousin. Yes. <laughs> More <cous. laughs> It's like can... that's technically a word, just not one that gets used. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could be overwhelmed. It could be underwhelmed. But can you ever just be whelmed? <laughs> it's like <laughs> you can be uncouth. Can you ever just be couth? <laughs> I mean, it must be. If you can be uncouth, mm-hmm. then he must be able to be couth. Anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe that's a good. Yeah, reason. I think it's that. Like, like I think father is like discounting the like human reaction to things as a like part mm-hmm. of the that's true like uh consequences of anything that happens so well he sees people as ants so yeah. he's probably like they all yeah. won't yeah care. he's like i slightly care about my like important human sacrifices but the rest of them are just whatever <laughs> well the rest of them are souls to be taken basically yeah so mm-hmm. yeah he's like i have like three people that i want the rest of yeah. you can can bite it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was happy to see all the Roy crew together again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Black Hayate, yes. Who is mm-hmm. the goodest boy and definitely deserves a rank. Yes. Second Lieutenant Black Hayate. <laughs> you can be second Lieutenant. I mean, I don't really care. <laughs> I fear being like, but that's higher than higher my rank. Than me. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't help that Fury like looks like a tiny child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like oh, Black yeah. Hayate. He should at least get uh, PFC. PFC Black Black Hayate. Do they get? Yeah. Do they have, do they have <laughs> private first class in the Amestrian military? <laughs> Probably. I mean, they must. <laughs> do they have special ranks for service dogs? They must. I don't know if they have special ranks, but a lot of them do get ranks, like honorary <laughs> ranks. <laughs> I always think that uh, PFC sounds like more fancy than it is. That's like yeah. the, PSC is like the lowest rank, but it's like first class, like nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like drop and give me a hundred, and also clean everything. Yeah. And like be the, you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I know things about the military, guys. <laughs> <laughs> sounds right to me. Yeah. Well, if it sounds right to you, then you're the closest person that I have to. Uh, an actual source, so that's good enough. Yeah, it's like, Although sadly, I'm... I'm the expert in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we learned that uh, Madam Christmas is uh, Mustang's oh, yeah, uh, adopted mother. Oh, yeah. yeah, I did think it was oddly specific that her name was Christmas. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's Chris Mustang. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> did you not get that? <laughs> I, think I, I think I've gotten it in the past, but not this time. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. So that's Chris yep. Mustang. It's like, ah. Yeah. Uh. I think, um, yeah, I think Extra Cannon says that she's his, like, biological aunt and, like, took him in when both his parents died really young. They both have, like, dark mm-hmm. hair, so mm-hmm. they look like they could be related. Yeah. Um, oh, sure. Know. All dark-haired people are related <laughs> to each other. Well, in FMA, they are, obviously. That's how <laughs> Rath and Salim Bradley can pass for being related or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I've always liked that that uh, information. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh. It wasn't that important, but it was great. Mm-hmm. And I like that she's like, no, my bar. And then he's like, yeah. I'll get you another one. <laughs> Yeah. Or she's like, oh, my bar, or whatever, you know? Yeah. Kind of, like, moderately annoyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I like that she dug up all the photos, too. She's like, so you're not crazy. And it's just cute yeah. that they mm-hmm. have a... Because Roy does seem like he's kind of alone. Like, he had you yeah. know, the scenes with, like, Master Hawkeye, but, like, he doesn't really seem to have any family. I mean, none of them really do, but, like, I somehow feel like, especially Roy, he always seems so alone. So it's mm-hmm. nice that he actually, like, to know that he, like, has, you know, like a... Like a, a, a family of sorts, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we know Reese's relationship with her family is strained because of her yeah. dad. And then it's like, mm-hmm. Roy knew her dad and he was his his master. So, I mean, there goes a sort of somewhat parental relationship, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. It was just nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am really happy that Lompom is back unrelated to, mm-hmm. to Roy. <laughs> yeah. And Fu. Yeah. It's, like a, it's a good return. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was badass. She stabbed Gluttony in the head and then it's like, I am back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like how Ling like sort of starts smiling like before he's even 100% mm-hmm. sure. It's like he knows. Like, but he, he knows. Like, already knows. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Because they're in love, like Cosm said. <laughs> no, I can't unsee it. He's like, oh, I'm glad you're back. I missed mm-hmm. you. Is what he meant. <laughs> yeah. What he really meant was I love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Greed is really impressed that mm-hmm. he's like, <laughs> like damn, has this, like badass woman yeah. hidden away. <laughs> yeah, I know. I enjoyed that and mm-hmm. praising her essentially, uh, mm-hmm. and also praising him for being able to uh, fight the um, uh, gluttony. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> I think that Greed Greed is funny because he like genuinely likes Ling. Like I think he likes mm-hmm. Spa, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, I can't, but I can't let you do that. I can't let you take over, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like the friends of the soul or whatever. <laughs> yeah, friends, friends or souls that are connected or something. Hold on, wait. <laughs> Friendship is a bond between souls. That's, mm-hmm. but Lan Fong is back, but her arm isn't healed. And Ed did the math. So it's only been a couple mm-hmm. of months. It's been six months since she left. Yep. It's, it mm-hmm. seems. So timeline mm-hmm. confirmed. Yep. Not not that long, it turns out. Yeah. But long enough for Ed to be taller than Winry. Yep. Which is important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like wincing during the fight and stuff. Mm-hmm. But she still did a good job. Because yeah. Because she's a badass. Mm-hmm. Like how Ed seems like genuinely pleased to have her back too after they were so like <laughs> kind of cantankerous with each other in their <laughs> earlier meetings. Yeah. I think that's just how Ed is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. As you described, I feel like Ed and like Lanfan have very similar personalities on the inside. That's true. <laughs> Who? Ed and Lanfan. Ed and Lanfan. Oh yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think yeah. Lanfan's less extroverted, but I think their like <laughs> internal rage is the same. And I think it's you can tell the evidence is there because when it's greed talking instead of laying Lanfan and Fu are like shut the fuck up, like they don't yeah. give a shit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is really great. <laughs> I forget yeah. exactly what they said, but they were really sassy, and it's like yeah, yeah. that's. 
yeah, Grace like, you guys okay? And they're like, fuck you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Bring the prince back. And they're like, he's like, eh, okay. He's just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Very hostile. And I enjoyed it. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> I do like Hohenheim trying to chat with Fu in like the middle of the fight. And he's like, oh, she's yeah. in this yeah. place. And they're like, what are you doing? It's like very Hohenheim. <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seems to, like, stumble his way through all his fights. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like, I'm not going to fight you. I can't do that. And I was like, you definitely can't do that. <laughs> yeah, but still does, like, really, really well. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're very impressed by the alchemy that he was able to do. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean. Pretty extreme. Just... He didn't even move and just, like, the entire earth. Like... <laughs> and it was fast, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I guess I'm impressed. I just don't have a frame of reference for what good alchemy is. We're just led to believe by the characters that it's impressive, I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, because um, I think the something similar we saw was Azumi putting up yeah, a wall the in the, the river. river. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that seemed really impressive. Mm-hmm. Just being able to move that much material, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was treated so. as really impressive in-universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think even the fact a lot of people have to draw stuff and a lot of people have to be really specific and whatever, right? But like, Ed, Nal, and Azumi, they don't need to use a circle. Neither does Hohenheim, obviously. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Hohenheim doesn't even need to like put his hands together or anything. No, he just Mm. taps things with his hands and his feet and then he can do stuff. We have to put our hands together for Hohenheim. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) His, um, his, uh, you need to be stopped and be stopped. His uh, Don't You Dare Mock My Son is one of my favorite moments. So great. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. Hohenheim, you did it. (laughs) I like that Ed was still pissed off, though. He's like, you should have consulted me in Hohenheim. He's like, Al didn't want to. Yeah. He said that you would would stop him or whatever, so... Also, like the pe- the panel dedicated to Ed's irritation at Hohenheim, like saying like the hero always arrives late. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely something that Ed would have said because they also have the same personality. Yes. You also talked about the comic at the end of this that's like hero for the day or whatever. Well, yeah. it's like gets to be the hero. This time, Hohenheim was the hero of the day and Ed was visibly annoyed <laughs> about it, which was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a great plan oh. that Al is like, oh, by the way, my body never needs to sleep or use any kind of energy or eat any food. So how do you feel about staying in here forever? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like the whole plan of Al being like, I'll trap myself in here with you. Let's see who lasts longer. And then Pride is like pissed mm-hmm. off. <laughs> so good. Mm-hmm. I was like, that is smart. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also like that they used the flash bombs to disconnect Pride's like shadow. That was pretty cool. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. I like yes. how they used, they used both dark and light against Pride in this fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's creative. Mm-hmm. I think it just also shows kind of like Pride's limitations too. Because like we every time we see Pride, it's like they're... It, he's like unstoppable like the shadow is like unstoppable and you know pointy and chompy and whatever Mm -hmm. but our our heroes use their resources to be able to control pride so kind of Mm -hmm. made made him a little bit less scary i mean now he can smell them but yeah now he's also trapped in a giant Mm -hmm. dirt dome so (laughs) (laughs) yeah is interesting so about that Mm -hmm. i thought that was very interesting because like uh whenever it was a couple of um chapters ago pride said something like i am absolutely nothing like gluttony and now he's kind of pretty much part of gluttony mm-hmm. and i i well, uh well, gluttony is part of him because he ate gluttony so yeah i feel like that well, all stands yeah. you know 
Mm-hmm. Like he was like, so how many times have you died? And the gluttony's like, don't do it. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I'm gonna do it. And gluttony's like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I like the gluttony knew what he was gonna do and was like afraid mm-hmm. too. Like, yeah, yeah. And by like, I mean it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to make that yeah. clear. Yes, I guess he's basically, like, too homunculi now. Yeah, that's not good. I don't like that. I think it's too much. Too many powers. Like I said, he doesn't need more. He doesn't need more things. He has too many eyes and too many hands. He doesn't need (laughs) sharper teeth. and too many. Yeah, too many. Well, they already had too many mouths. True. Too too many ribs now. (laughs) Too many ribs. Yeah, now he has too many pointy teeth. Is it the teeth, like, are are different? I didn't notice that. Yeah, they were, like, they were, like, flat teeth on a normal smile. And then, like, after he swallowed gluttony, they became, like, Mm-hmm. predator teeth yeah i didn't like that oh they were like mm-hmm. square chompy teeth that's what you're saying yeah and then they became yeah, like normal teeth. human teeth and now oh. they're like yeah. i was mm-hmm. like that looks creepier is it just me when i was reading it and i like didn't really like look mm-hmm. back and i was like oh that's yeah it's horrifying more more uncanny that's for sure i like the um like his last desperate attack with the shadow stopping like just short of Hohenheim. Mm-hmm. He like doesn't flinch, but then afterward he's like, That was scary. That was scary. <laughs> <laughs> this whole fight is like Hohenheim in a nutshell. He's like extremely powerful. And he's like, I don't I don't really want to fight you. Like he's just an awkward nerd. Like we thought that he was like a bad guy, you know, at the beginning of the story and that he was like evil and had stuff to do something to do with father, which he kind of does, but not you know, it wasn't his choice or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, Oh, he's just an awkward nerd dad. Like that's that's yeah. who he is, you know? <laughs> I enjoy Hohenheim as a character very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's one of those characters where it's like when he first shows up, it's like you do not expect you're going to like him at all. But then mm-hmm. Like, I love him. He winds up like he's definitely one of my favorites by the end. Yeah, I feel like he would tell dad jokes, but only after someone else told them to him. And he's like, "That's a great joke. <laughs> I should tell yeah. my kids." Definitely. He wouldn't come up with horrible dad jokes himself for sure. <laughs> Didn't we talk about Rickrolling him? And he would be like, "Oh, someone sent me this video." Yeah. <laughs> I like this song or whatever. You know, <laughs> I forget. <laughs> I do remember that conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was one of our um, mid-season questions. Yeah, one of our one of the listeners oh, asked us a question yeah. about who who would you recall and who would who would res- send a recall or who would be mad about it or whatever. I forget exactly. And we were like, well, uh, somebody mm-hmm. was like, obviously Ed. Probably Kayla said, obviously Ed. You have to send it to him, <laughs> and mm-hmm. he would be pissed mm-hmm. off. But then it would be funny if he sent it to Hohenheim because he would have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like how derpy Hohenheim is. It's pretty great. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting in this, um, so Al asked asked Pride why they chose Ed, Al, Hohenheim, and Izumi, or whatever, to be their human sacrifices. And Pride says it's because of their human spirit. Basically, they're they're the ones who show human spirit in abundance, and also that how predictable the human spirit is. So if there's mm-hmm. one thing that you're kind of showed us over the centuries, it's how predictable the human spirit is. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting yeah. commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Al's comment where he's like, I'm not sure if he's mocking us or praising us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's just a fact. Yeah. <laughs> Based on the way that he says it. I don't know if it's, I don't mm-hmm. think it's either. It might maybe praise. But yeah, I feel like it's like, like he meant it to be insulting, but it's sort of like <laughs> grudgingly respecting mm-hmm. of that trait. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's because yeah, like the, the reason whole... I think that, huh? No, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say the reason 
the reason that I like that is because it's paired with him being like, actually, I was really surprised that Mrs. Bradley threw herself in front of a car to protect me. So that's mm-hmm. why I think it's kind of grudgingly respectful or, or yeah. moderate praise of some kind. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? I, just, I like the whole thing where I was like, what if we had left to save ourselves? And he's like, but you didn't, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, well, our plan worked out because you didn't. So Yeah, it's like you were never going to do that. <laughs> no. They were like, who won't? Who out of all these powerful alchemists that we know won't leave? Well, definitely not these guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I really liked when the Roy gang... I'm just looking through my notes. This is completely unrelated to to that. But the the Roy gang... Riza was like, your orders. And he was just like, don't die. Mm-hmm. They look so... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loyal isn't the word, but they all look... They're all like waiting for him to give them their... Or give him... Give them him, his orders. So... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I found that a very Roy thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, please. <laughs> please don't die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he's like, if you want to escape, now's the time. And they're like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like we're already in the tunnels. Did you, did you call it the tunnel district of? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I didn't like hear it at first, and I was like, and it was too late to laugh. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Definitely, a mistress has a tunnel district. That is for sure. <laughs> it's the historic tunnel district. I like the detail how like poor Fury is like really beat up because he's been on the front yeah. lines. Mm-hmm. He still has a bunch of band aids and stuff. Yeah. They all deserted their posts, they said mm-hmm. last time. So, yep. Or whenever it was. They're like, we don't have ranks, we're deserters now. Except mm-hmm. for Black Hayate, mm-hmm. who would never desert anyone. I mean, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Oh, yeah, when when everyone said, I, I, I was just imagining um, him saying, hi, hi, like hi, Hayate. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean... There's obviously one true leader there, and it's obviously mm-hmm. Black Kayate, So mm-hmm. I thought it was funny how polite they were when they kidnapped Mrs. Bradley, where they were like, She's like, mm-hmm. What are you guys doing? And they're like, Sorry, can you come with us, please? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then after they like killed the driver or whatever, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. they did, knocked them out or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. Not clear. Yeah. I like how she like, she obviously recognizes Hawkeye because, yeah, of course. <laughs> she's the mm-hmm. Fierce assistant right now. She's like, What are you doing? Yeah. She's like, What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I feel bad, though. She looks so terrified in that scene. I know. Well, she is being kidnapped. Mm-hmm. It's like just mm-hmm. when like, the Fuhrer's out of town, and her son is gone, and he was in a horrible accident, and now these chumps have to come and kidnap mm-hmm. her. It's the, obviously the, the perfect day. <laughs> yeah. It's not her fault. She's so cool. She got uh, Wrath's attention. <laughs> yeah. She never wanted this. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't ask to be part of related to you know tied into some crazy scheme to build a a zombie army and (laughs) turn a bunch of people into remove a bunch of souls from people and whatever she -hmm. never asked for this she's an innocent bystander that apparently has some value so i guess we'll see what happens next time (laughs) or whatever whenever that's revealed maybe there's secret dirt on her Maybe she's secretly a homunculus and none of the homunculi know. She's <laughs> a double secret homunculus. <laughs> Mrs. Bradley is pride. Wait. Wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We didn't really talk about Kimberly. There's not a whole lot to talk oh, about him, but Kimberly. he's back. He's got his same old white suit. He's back and he's just as good as he was before. I was going to say he's better than ever, but truly he hasn't changed. Yeah. So yes, mm-hmm. He's exactly as Kimberly as he was. Kimberly before. <laughs> There's no greater Kimberly than the Kimberly of yesterday. 
<laughs> Breaking news, Kimberly continues to Kimberly. <laughs> Kimberly's gonna Kimberly. <laughs> so one of those like um like incorrect quotes thing that had like a chat group where someone posted like a picture of an explosion and said like what does this make you feel? And it had like Kimberly replying saying like arousal and then they were like, Anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> I think Kimberly's answer to anything and then the following quote would be or the following message would be anyone else <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's like 90% of a conversation with Kimberly does it seem so in, in central does it seem like father is like tired or is he just pensive he's always got his eyes closed now kind of feel like he's running low on juice just saying mm -hmm. that's my take and also i really enjoyed yeah. sloth like falling asleep in the background in the room yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like he's like like i'm so close can you guys just let me do my promise <laughs> like, he, mm -hmm. he does seem exasperated yeah mm -hmm. maybe that's what it is mm -hmm. he always like, seems working like on this for literally centuries all <laughs> these fuckers are messing around mm -hmm. being annoying <laughs> I've lost like three of my my uh, Horcruxes. Yeah, <laughs> I just can't take it anymore, and one of them ate the other one. It's like kids, man. Yeah. It's like can't live with them. Can't live with them attached to me. Can't live without them. Spawned off to be their own <laughs> living beings, going and doing my bidding. <laughs> I liked that. Um. Well, they met. Well, I mean, they. So Scar. Zampano, Drusso, and Marco, they met up with some other uh, refugees, and they heard mm -hmm. about May, but I like Scar. Scar is continuing to have this this message that um, they're they're trying to bring change without resorting to mm -hmm. terrorism or whatever. Obviously, the rumor is that a bunch of Ishvalans have come to terrorize Amestris, but mm -hmm. um, to terrorize Central, but they're, they're rallying, Scar says they're rallying to change the country, so mm -hmm. that was nice. It's kind of the same sort of like continuation from him being like, I'm not trying to save this country. I'm trying to change it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I had any other things that I, no, I don't have any other things that I want to say. <laughs> My animal instincts are telling me it's the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> In conclusion, Lon Fawn. <laughs> Guys, Lon Fawn is back. She's here. She's got a cool looking autumn alarm. Yeah, she can go stabby stabby with her elbow. So it's yeah. pretty good. Mm -hmm. She just needs to learn like alkahestry so that she can transmute it like Ed. Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. think of how great she'll be, even yeah. greater. I like how it looks noticeably different from like Ed's since mm -hmm. she got it made yeah. by somebody else. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think everybody's auto mail looks pretty different. Even like Buccaneers mm -hmm. looks pretty different. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> even when it's not a chainsaw. <laughs> even yes, even when it's not a chainsaw, <laughs> especially when it was a chainsaw. But even when it's not a chainsaw. <laughs> Well, they're all custom made, right? So they would all have, uh, they should all be different, I guess, in theory. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that last time, um, Pinaco was like, oh, Renry, you need to do the fine adjustments on Ed's arm anyway. Like, I can't mm -hmm. do it because you're the one who made it. So mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because she'd it, been like the, sense, the but... primary uh, person working on Ed's arm for a while now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, plus she also probably built it in uh, Rush Valley or whatever. Mm, like Pinaco yeah. wasn't around when she built it last time, yeah. so she wouldn't even know that much about it, probably. Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she definitely when was did growing the, up. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, she definitely did the uh, northern automail all on her own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The extra carbon automail that Ed hardened, mm -hmm. which was smart. Yeah. Yes. I like how Ed's pretty good at like taking like techniques from 
people he's fought in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like Ling is like that too, because I like I I feel like greed Ling is better able to react to attacks from others like wrath and pride in the last mm. two Well I think episodes, Yeah so. they learn from previous fights like what they did wrong, I think, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Where I think Ed sees what other people are doing and is able to sort of mimic that. Because, like, mm. I remember I remember it back in, like, Lab 5, he copied a couple of Scar's moves. And... Well, he learned Scar's uh, destruction technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think there's been others I can't think of off the top of my head, but... Um... You think of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, uh, he, uh, he learns and it's cool. He's smart. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that was the end of my thought. I yeah. there was no more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, another yeah. like nice little continuity detail is like uh, when Gluttony tears his Greed's arm off. He regenerates the arm, but not the sleeve. Yeah, I know. Mm. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's Ling going all shirtless again. Nursely. Yeah. Again. <laughs> I don't think I have anything mm. else. Okay, good. Well, it's time for our segment where we ask Kayla what we're going to read next. <laughs> <laughs> next time, we're going to read 89, 90, and 91. Whoa. That's super exciting. Wow. Three more in a row? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you don't want to break or whatever? Like, <laughs> like, it's important. Okay, good. That means I can read three and I won't it's have like, to wait. Everything happens so much. <laughs> <laughs> everything Ooh. happens so much. <laughs> Truly. In this manga, more than, more than other stories, everything happens so much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah thank you all for listening we will see you next time yeah bye Bye. I love you It's not me this time. No. So who the fuck was it? <laughs> I'm gonna blame you. Is that okay? I mean... No. <laughs> Believe me, it ain't busy. Be- ain't busy. <laughs> Believe me, it ain't. E- Jesus. <laughs> it ain't busy. <laughs> <laughs> so well, he's he's your na- neighbor. Who lives in your house? Yeah. <laughs> That's what a roommate is, right? <laughs> neighbor who lives in your house, I guess technically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you said it back to me, it sounded even crazier than when I said it out of my own mouth. <laughs> I was like, "That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard." <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Anyway, <laughs> it's like you're not wrong, but no. <laughs> no. Maybe there's secret dirt on her. <laughs> Maybe she's secretly a homunculus and none of the homunculi know. <laughs> She's a double secret homunculus. This <laughs> is Bradley's what... pride. Wait. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What'd you call her? Uh, I don't know. What did I call her? D- no, did you call her a double secret homunculus? Yes, okay, yes. I called her, yeah. <laughs> I had a friend who said something like that once. Is that from something? Uh, no? Double secret something? <laughs> yeah. What I was thinking of was like double Mm. dog dare and or Mm -hmm. double plus ungood, that kind of crap. 
What is it called? The thing from the book. Mm-hmm. You know. You know the book that yeah. I'm talking about. 1984. 1984. <laughs> Never mind. The other one. Do I know what book I'm talking about? <laughs> the other the one. With, uh, the one with the room and the rats and the girl. <laughs> yeah. 1984. And the, and the, the pregnancy and whatever. The fake, th- the things that they used to torture them. That book. That, mm-hmm. that's, that's the book. That's what happened, right? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> 1984, it was the burning in the books, and they all ran away, and there was the girl. No, that one's Fahrenheit 451. You're getting the I mean, oh, again. sorry. sorry. <laughs> in, Fahrenheit, in Fahrenheit 451, it was the books, and then they ran away, and then... Yeah. Then he like started Fahrenheit having color memories, and then he started getting the memories from the other guy. Oh, wait, that was the giver. Okay. Hey. <laughs> it's like the temperature which paper burns. Uh-huh. That's why it's about the books. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then there was talking like animals. Line of Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> is it really? I don't remember. I I blocked a lot of... I remember... Clearly, I remember the main points of all of those stories, according to how I just described them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Made to read a lot of horrifying books about torture in high school. Like, uh... <laughs> uh... What is it called? The Crucible. And the Scarlet Ooh. Letter. <laughs> They're all about deep and meaningful. Uh huh. Capital I mean, I D think the, deep and capital the great, meaningful. The Great Gatsby is kind of about torture in a capitalist society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> capitalist and anti-feminist society. So you could and construe it that way. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a pretty bleak novel. That's definitely true. I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I ever fully read that one. I think I read part of it. Oh. But... The only reason I remember more about it is because I recently watched the movie. Mm-hmm. But with the DiCaprio, mm-hmm. with the with the music mm-hmm. that was good. What's his face mm-hmm. did it? Jay Z was like the lead sound person. Mm-hmm. It was very. I remember the trailers. I don't think I saw it. Though. Well, you've seen the GIF with the champagne. Yes, everyone's seen the GIF. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know. When you said Kimberly, it reminded me of Kimi, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, it's Kimberly's basket." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, why are you like this? And he's like, well, it all started back. Started, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it reminded me of. That's why. <laughs> he's like, Kimberly would appreciate it if you took me to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a good romp. <laughs> what other notes do I have? <laughs>